0: Cairo, Seattle.
1: It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton.
0: Welcome to School with a Professor. Joining us is Matt Miller, who we're pleased to say just joined ESPN two months ago as an NFL draft contributor. After all those great years at the Bleacher Report, 10 great years where he set all kind of records as far as Bleacher Report hits and everything else. Matt, congratulations on the new gig. How's it going?
1: Going great, John. I have to say, like I'm, I'm one of those people I, I grew up watching you on ESPN, the commercials, you know, the, the yeah. ponytail rumors. So uh, it, it's an honor to be on with you today.
0: That's great. So this draft, uh, I mean, I've covered drafts now since 1973. This was the most unusual draft I've ever been involved in covering. How did you kind of rank this draft?
1: yeah you know this was my 11th and i felt like it was really bizarre as well it, it was such a weird year that we we knew like concrete who the first two picks were going to be right so it kind of reminds you of those drafts you know whether it's manning Leaf, or Luck, rg3 or even like golf and wins like we knew who the first two picks were going to be after that it was like all hell broke loose which made it fun that's what made it kind of bizarre was that there weren't a lot of trades on draft night. You know, the Bears coming up obviously was was big. The Jets coming up was was big, but there weren't the, the like land, sh- you know, landscape rocking trades. So also the fact that you know every team seemed to have like their own very unique board, which I know that might sound like, well, they should every year. But, you know, there's usually a consensus on things. And it felt like this year there really just wasn't that, which made it a fun Thursday night and a fun Friday night too. Yeah,
0: and that's the weird part because, uh, I don't know, you you saw uh, Scott Fitterer's comments before the draft that he only had 16 players with first-round grades. And I've talked to a couple teams they actually may have had one or two less. And so that really does make it tough, particularly, for example, if you're the New York Giants. I mean, it's a great move for Chicago Going to move up to eleven and get Justin Fields, but then to move down to number twenty, you're probably getting a second round pick.
1: Yeah, you really are. And and I think to Scott's comments, you know, Scott's so good at what he does, and they had a great draft in Carolina. I didn't have that many players with the first round grade this year. You know, it just whether it's because of medical information or you know lack of play time, you know, we've got guys being drafted in the first round who didn't play football for two years. You know, and so or or won't have played football for almost two years. So that made it such a A weird like you said a weird and exciting and interesting draft but also like you know the players who we knew were good like they got drafted early and I think in that way it was a lot like 2020 where there weren't a lot of reaches early and it's funny because both years we had the Raiders really make the first pick that you consider a reach you know in 2020 they took Damon Arnett this year they took Alex Leatherwood so until their selections it really felt like okay this draft is going about like we thought it would and then Mike Mack and John Gruden decided to, to switch things up.
0: Yeah, I had to do uh, my four mock drafts of the Washington Post, and the one thing that was so unusual is that I got the last one and I felt real good about it, but the problem is that, uh, you know, what's going on was that, uh, you know, they uh, I I, ha- I, only, I had so few direct hits. I mean, my direct hits were de- terrible, but I did end up getting like 26 of the 32 first-rounders.
1: That's actually really good. That's, that's great, and you're right that— I I think my direct hits this year was like 11 or 12. And I felt, I was trying to tell people like, that's actually like in a mock draft industry, especially this year, 11 or 12, that means you got 20 wrong, but you're still really happy about that. You know, it's such a weird, uh, you know, industry where you're wrong two thirds of the time and still feel really good about it. And, you know, I think a lot of us expected more trades, especially from the back half of the first round. You know, the fact that really the New York Jets trading up from 23 was only the big, trade up was, a, was I think, a surprise, you know? And so a lot of people probably would have said that, oh, the Patriots will take a quarterback, but we all thought they would trade up to do it, not sit at 15 to do it. So, you know, I think that made it a year where if you're one of those people that lives and dies on your mock draft score, this probably wasn't your best year.
0: Yeah, but 26 is okay, I think, isn't it?
1: That's very good. You should be very happy with 26 and 32. That's, yeah, that's yeah. exceptional. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that that was interesting. And the other thing I think is interesting, and so I just wonder, is it because of the way this draft was or is it now the new trend in the National Football League? Because usually you're going to have trades from the second round up into the first round. Well, this is the first year I can yeah. remember there was none. And I don't know if it's a matter that now... T- People start to realize it's like, wait a second, if I'm trading up, you know, unless it's just one particular player is like I'm getting a second round pick. Why trade up? It's better to wait. Do you think that's the growing trend or do you think it's now one where people are uh, starting to realize that this was just a bad draft?
1: I think it's both things. Honestly, I think it's the fact that it's it wasn't a very good draft. And a lot of people see next year as a good draft. And it, usually if you're going to trade up from round two to round one, you're giving up picks next year. And I know a lot of teams didn't want to do that because not only is next year maybe more talent heavy, but we'll know so much more about those prospects. So you'll have a more of a complete picture of who those players are. And teams did not want to trade out of those situations. So I do think that's part of it. But then also I think the formula so much right now is to try to build around a young team, right? So you want as many, fifth year option players as possible. And so teams maybe aren't as willing to move out of that late first round spot as they used to be where we saw Lamar Jackson be the 32nd pick after Baltimore traded back up. It feels like those days are long gone because teams hoard their late first round picks so that they can have that fifth year option. Then you have teams, you know, like the Seahawks in your backyard, the Rams, they just don't value first round picks at all. So there's really, you know, kind of two different schools of thought right now that I think are going to be really fun to watch play out over the next few years of is this idea of first round picks are a 50 50 proposition? Let's trade those for a known commodity like Jamal Adams or like Jalen Ramsey. Or you have the teams, you know, like Buffalo, who's reloaded really well and built a great team around the draft with a couple trades like a Stephon Diggs trade mixed in. Or you have the old conventional method like, you know, the Green Bay Packers or the Carolina Panthers, where they're like, we're just going to draft and, and build a young team that way.
0: Yeah, but the weird part about it is that, and this has been a trend now, I think it started in about 2016 and it's continued, is that uh, the playoff teams now, of course, it's expanded this past year with 14. But when there was 12 playoff teams, normally you're only going to have maybe three players get the fifth-year options from 21 to 32. This year it turned out from 21 to 32 to be four. And yeah. uh, and then, of course, you had uh, right now getting uh, – With 20, uh, or in that number 20, there was one. So that was five among playoff spots. But normally, and because what ends up happening is that, for example, if you're not playing at a Pro Bowl level, you're not going to get the fifth year option. And the only one in that 20 to 32 group that ended up getting the fifth year option and and, and getting along with going to the Pro Bowl was Lamar Jackson.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think some of that is like the crapshoot that is the draft, right? Is that it is, it's just so hard. And even, you know, with Lamar Jackson, uh, we're going to wait and see what his deal looks like. You know, they're basically saying, let's wait and see. You know, you had an MVP year, you had a down year. Uh, let's wait and see what what the next year looks like. Or Baker Mayfield, who had, you know, a great year last year. There's a lot of teams that I feel like that's the other side of it now, is the, the wait and see approach with these fifth-year options. But I, I do think, you know, even it circles back to what, what Scott Fitterer said about, there's like 16 players with a round one grade on their board, 15 or 16. That means half the first round are players that teams don't value in that round one range, you know? And so even that says, like, how, you know, how good do you feel about that player if it was like, yeah, we, we really would have drafted you in the second round, but it was a bad draft class, so we had to take you in the first. I think that, that sets up a lot of interesting long-term decisions that teams have to make.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing about was so strange about this draft, because it was so thin because of the pandemic, and you know the, the super seniors with the more than 1,000 super seniors oh, going yeah. back for that extra senior year, is that uh, you know, I, I've never seen a seventh round like this, because I, I had to count it up yesterday. I may be missing one or two, but it's like there was only like 17 teams that drafted out of the 32 in the seventh round. Fifteen teams basically said, after we get to the six, we're done. There's nothing there. And then you can see the limited number of undrafted free agents that are being signed.
1: You are so right. And that's another part of next year where the sheer number of players entering the NFL next year will be astronomical. It'll be the the most we've probably ever seen because of the super seniors. And, I mean, I had conversations with a couple, you know, GMs and, and scouts before the draft who were saying, like we don't even really care about six and seven round picks this year. Like we'll probably just like get ready for priority free agents because it's just, it was such a diluted talent pool to where, you know, teams weren't trying to, you know, really grab as many six and seven round picks as possible. Where like before we've seen teams like the Ravens like dominate with late round picks and they'll have so many comp picks. And this year it really did feel like teams just weren't that dialed in. I mean, I feel like there were two or three teams that really didn't have a pick. Like you said, in round seven, it was like half the league didn't even use a pick there. So that I think next year we'll see a shift in focus back because I, I do know that was a strategy this year. People wanted to acquire as many 2022 draft picks as possible because the talent pool would be bigger, the talent pool probably be better, and, again, it, it goes back to having – radical and character information about those players
0: yeah in fact i just counted totaled it up as far as 2022 picks there already are 40 teams have traded for 40 of the uh picks next crazy. year in 2022 <laughs> and that includes five first rounders
1: yeah that's it's absolutely crazy and i i think you know you know we always look so far ahead in this business so not to look too far ahead but next year's class looks like it's just going to be so good and you know, right, being in the Pacific Northwest, you know, Washington had a lot of opt-out guys last year, but I think mean, that's going to be a tough team. And then Oregon has so much talent. So there's there's a lot. If you're one of those teams that has started to stockpile for next year, and and we'll see the ramifications even of you know the minority hiring teams getting comp picks for that and more to come. You know, after next year's season that it's gonna be I think next year has a chance to be the most exciting draft that I've ever covered.
0: Yeah, no question about it. What was your thought of the Seahawks draft with only three draft choices? It's hard to
1: do bad with three picks, right? It's it's also hard to like have, you know, a, a roster shaping draft when you have the three selections. I was most surprised, like not by anyone who they selected. I was most surprised that they didn't move around and wheel and deal to try to get more picks. So that was the thing where I really thought maybe they would, you know, move back from that second round pick try to, you know, acquire a couple more players. I think that was was maybe the biggest surprise for me. But I I think, you know, John and Pete have such a good feel for what their team needs and they understand understand scheme fit so well. Um so I liked their draft from that standpoint. Again, it's it's hard to look at a, a draft with three picks and say like, oh my gosh, they look how great this draft was for these teams. It's just, it's almost impossible to do that.
0: Yeah, and that's why, like, I didn't give them a loser grade or just a loser uh, call on that because when you think about it, I mean, they ended up getting two players that have been to the Pro Bowl and it, with the draft choices that they had, along with an $11 million yeah. guard from the Las Vegas Raiders because they got Gabe Jackson, they got Carlos Dunlap, who's been to several Pro Bowls, and Jamal Adams has been to, uh, you know, three in a row and may have the beginnings of a potential Hall of Fame career.
1: Yeah, I think you have to factor that in. And I will say that I do actually really like, I liked the players they got. You know, Dwayne Eskridge was, he's just a joystick basically coming out of Western Michigan. Trey Brown is exceptionally fast. You know, he's a developmental prospect, but had a good senior bowl week. And then I really thought the right tackle Stone Forsythe from Florida, I would not have been surprised if he'd been like a third round pick. Now, I do think you know, there's there's a reason he fell in the draft, and that's something that, you know, I, I think I believe I heard it was, you know, kind of medical situation that pushed him down the board. But I, I thought they got three, even on a great roster, right? They, they win every year. They have 10 wins every year. They make the playoffs every year. It's on a great roster. You don't have a lot of room for rookies to come in and contribute. But I thought these three hmm. players, I mean, especially Eskridge is going to be an impact right away. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at this in two years and like, oh, man, Stone Forsyth and Trey Brown are, are contributing pretty high here.
0: Yeah, no doubt. The uh, the one thing I wonder about: Do you think that uh, the selection of Estridge took away the guy that the Rams are going to take with the next pick? Because I I just heard this, I couldn't see it. That they basically said that uh, it's going to be uh, you know one where they were, they they seem to be a little bit upset.
1: Oh, definitely think so. I and that happens a lot, right? Where you you know what's going to happen right after you and you do the jump and I you know I think we saw that happen to Dallas in round one even with you know the two corners come off the board right before they select and they're they're stuck and, and have a trade off situation. So I do think that we probably saw, you know, Dwayne Eskers come off the board and then the Rams are like, wait, what Which happened? So you almost go to your next guy at the same position and they took two two Atwell from Louisville who's you know electric but really undersized. And I think that, that you know, we see that in round one with Devontae Smith, but Tutu Atwell's even smaller than Devontae Smith at, you know, five hundred and fifty five pounds, which like I think I was five5955 pounds as a freshman in high school. So, yeah, and I'm not a big guy now. So it's it's just you know small but electric. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how well that translates. There's not many people where you know we can look at players like John Ross, Marquise Brown. It really hasn't translated so far.
0: No doubt. Hey, how can everybody follow you and along with uh, catching up with everything you do at ESPN?
1: Yeah, John, I'm on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. And for all things writing, all the mock drafts and big boards, people can check it out at thedraftscout.com.
0: Okay. Hey, Matt Miller, thanks for joining us on School with the Professor.
1: Yeah, appreciate it, John. Thank you.
0: And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.